Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. Good morning. Uh, It's so great to be with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you will, turn in your Bible to John chapter 8. We're looking at verses uh, 12 through 20 this morning. This is the next I am statement in the Gospel of John. We're studying in this series. Jesus says this morning, in the midst of all the darkness, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Doesn't that sound nice? A few years ago, one of my friends told a story. Uh, It was about an Italian sociologist named Maurizio Montalbini. No idea if I said that right. Probably if I did this, it would be better. But uh, Dr. Maurizio, we'll call him. In the 1980s, Dr. Maurizio decided to become his own lab rat and experiment on himself for the sake of science. He moved into a cave. It's not because he was a big Batman fan or he's running from the law. He wanted to study the effects of darkness on the human experience. He wanted to know what happens to a human when that person is completely devoid of light. What happens to a human when they're surrounded by darkness? The answer was disorientation. He was disoriented. For example, in 1986, he lived in a cave deep within an Italian mountain. He tried his best to live normally. As he came out, he said that didn't really work. He ended up surviving basically on astronaut food and cigarettes. He completely lost track of time, day, night. A a typical or a normal day, he would say, was staying awake for 50 hours in a row. And a typical night for him was sleeping for only five hours, completely disoriented. He came out of the cave thinking by his count that he had stayed in there 79 days. In fact, it was 210 disorienting, dark days. Darkness. Our family's thinking a lot about darkness, actually, as we move to Norway. Our hope is that we'll arrive in Oslo by September. Why? Because we're afraid of the dark. Not like boogeyman, afraid of the dark. We're afraid of the effects of darkness. We know how disorienting it is to cross cultures. But when you cross cultures and you land in a place in the winter that doesn't have much sunlight, it will be even more disorienting. It affects your body. It affects your sleep. It affects your mood. This is why people that live in the northern part of the world by sad lamps, seasonal affective disorder lamps. It's light therapy that in some cases is life-saving. I've got some life-saving light therapy for you this morning. This is it. Without Jesus, the human experience is dark and deadly 
and disorienting. Now you know that in your own way. I know some of you are experiencing a very dark season of life. And you can imagine how much darker it would be if you didn't have Jesus. But what Robert just prayed for, I mean, turn on the news and you look at the darkness that is sweeping over our world as we watch a man power-hungry trying to build his empire without Jesus. And what's unfolding before our eyes is a dark, disorienting, deadly moment in history. Without Jesus, the human experience is dark and disorienting and deadly. But there's good news. Jesus, Jesus, the light of the world, comes to banish all of the darkness. All of it. How does he do that? Well, in our passage, we learn in two ways. He reveals... He reveals all that's wrong with us and our experience, and He rescues us. So I'm going to invite you to stand and listen out for that as I read John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged Him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet Please be seated. This is God's word. Lord Jesus, how we long to feel the warmth of your affection and smile, the light of your truth, even as we look at your word. Would you give us your spirit and teach us and change us by your word? This we pray in your name. Amen. Jesus, the light of the world, comes to banish all of the darkness. And the first way he does that is by revealing to us all that is wrong with us and all that is wrong in the human experience. That's hard, but it's good. It's good for us. Laura Kate and I were newly married. It was the first home we had ever lived in that was not campus housing. I got married while I was in college. And uh, it looked great. I mean, it it was big and it was affordable. And we just thought, this is so great. It's in this quaint little uh, North Carolina town. And it was wonderful until the lights went out. Because when the lights went out, you know, you'd get up to go to the bathroom or you'd walk into the kitchen and you'd flip on the light switch and you would see dozens of cockroaches scurrying to hide. They were hiding in their filth until the light exposed them. And I know it sounds hard, but so it is with Jesus. 
When he enters the human story, he exposes all that is wrong about us in our hearts and in the human experience in the world. The light switch comes on and we see some ugly stuff. That's hard, but it's good. What sort of things do we see? Well, first, we see that we are lost without him. We're disoriented without Jesus, light of the world. Another time, it was when we were living in this particular area, it was close to a state park, beautiful state park called Raven Rock. One night, we were working late, but our friends were camping. We decided we're going to go and camp with them, but we get to the, to the state park, and it's already dark. I mean, it's super dark. The, the sky's not lit up with the moon or anything, and this is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. No problem. Flashlight. Click. Click. Nothing. No cell phone service. Flashlight wasn't working right, and in those days, kids, uh, phones didn't have flashlights or cameras or anything else for that matter. You just opened them and dialed the number. That's all that was. I was stubborn. She thought, let's turn back. I said, no, 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 I'm a mountain man. Come on, I'm like an outdoorsy guy. I'll get us there. I I mean, come on, people can navigate in the dark. Surely I can navigate in the dark. And we proceeded to basically stumble through the woods, feeling our way for two miles, eating spiders and spider webs as we went. And it's a miracle we didn't get lost. The only reason we didn't get lost is because I managed to get the light to dimly shine at this one particular part where the trail was turning hard right. Otherwise, we would have been in big, big trouble, totally disoriented, lost in the woods. That's what it's like to try and make your way through the human experience without Jesus. You're lost without him. You're disoriented without him. You're feeling your way through the dark wilderness, unaware of the dangers around you, unaware if you're going to step off of a ledge or if you're going to step on a rattlesnake. And that's the second thing that Jesus shines the light on, that we are in grave danger without Jesus, the light of the world. Another story, this time a little younger me and a lot more irresponsible me, okay? I'm in the jungle of of, uh, Panama, and I'm walking with two of my friends, and we meet some local guys who were on a hunt for caiman eggs. Now, looking back on the experience, I realized they were probably practicing witchcraft. I didn't realize that in the moment. I just thought, oh, cool, a jungle adventure. Let's go have some fun and find some some cool stuff in the woods with these guys that we met five minutes ago. Like, the terrible idea. We're walking. It's dark. We're doing our best to follow the guy with the machete in front of us as he's cutting his way through the woods, and all of a sudden, our feet get wet. And then our knees are wet. And then I realize we are wading in warm water up to our chests following these guys, which felt fine and adventurous until we got to the other side. And one of the locals turned on his flashlight and he shone his light across the water and you saw red eyes everywhere. Those were Cayman. We had just waded through Cayman-infested waters. We had no idea because it was dark. We didn't realize that those waters were full of creatures that could eat us. We would have never seen them coming. We were ignorant of that danger. This is why we need the light of Jesus, 
Because we go through life thinking that we're okay, I've got this, I've got that, surely everything is fine, but we're ignorant of the real danger that is around us. We need the light of Christ to shine and to show us dangers like pleasure and power and money and affirmation and approval. Those aren't bad things, like Baxley said, in and of themselves, not all of them. But if we chase them, if we dedicate our lives to them, then we are in grave danger and they will eat us alive before we even see them coming. The light of Jesus orients us. It shows us these things, the danger out there. But there's another danger that the light of Christ shows us. It's the danger within. Remember who Jesus is speaking to? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were smart, religious dudes. It was their home court. They were in the temple speaking with Jesus, but they were totally in the dark about what Jesus was saying. Why? Because in their worldview, they thought that there was maybe this little flickering of a light in their hearts that if they fanned it, it would flame into passion. How? By doing good, by following the law that they had modified for themselves and by working as hard as they possibly could to make God happy with them, And along comes Jesus who says, hey guys, that's not going to work. You can't possibly live well enough for God to love you. You need a mediator. You need a savior. And they were saying, no, we don't want any of that. We've got it. They were stubborn. Their hearts were embracing the darkness. This is why Jesus in verse 24, as you read later on in the passage, says, if you continue to reject me as the light of the world, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. That's scary. Die in your sins. All because they're answering this question wrong. Where does the light come from? What is the true source of the light that leads us safely through the human experience? What is your answer to that? Our world gives us a lot of really bad answers, I think. Our world will tell us that maybe there's a light within, and if, you just, if you're just true to yourself, well, then that will guide you safely through the human experience. That's not right. Or our world says if you're just a tolerant enough person, or if you just achieve enough, or if you just have a a transcendent experience, or if you just have enough of the right people around you, or if you stand for the right causes, well, well, then maybe you'll be guided through the human experience well. Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. He says, I am the light of the world. He does not say, I am a light of the world. As in, I am a light, I'm a spiritual path, one of the many spiritual paths or human paths that are good, that will get you to the end safely and where you need to be. No, 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 no. He says, I am the light of the world. Allah is a light, and Moses is a light, and good humanism is a light. No, 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 no. He says, I am the 
light, not like those. I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the implication is that if you're not following Jesus, then you don't have the light of life. You have the darkness of death. Now, that sounds really arrogant to our modern ears. I get that. For someone to claim to be the only thing, the only answer to the human problem, sounds arrogant. It sounded arrogant to the Pharisees, too. That's why they go into this back and forth about, well, who, what you say about yourself is not valid because you don't have anyone to, to testify to this reality. And Jesus says, well, I testify about myself, but my other witness, verse 18, is my Father who sent me. But what he says is, you don't know the Father because you've, been, you've had this whole self-guided religious experience that was all about you making God happy with you. But you don't know my Father, His grace and His mercy. So John adds later that they didn't understand that he was telling them about the Father. So Jesus said, you'll understand at this point, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. This is really interesting. Jesus is saying, I'm testifying about myself. My eternal heavenly Father is testifying about me. But you know when it's going to click for you? It's when you see me lifted up. And not lifted up in exaltation, like, okay, finally, Jesus, you did something great for us. When you see me lifted up on the cross. When you see me lifted up on the cross, when you see my response to your own darkness and the darkness of the world when you see that I'm willing to take all of that on myself, all of your wrong onto myself, that is when it's going to click and you're going to realize that I am He. He's talking about a rescue for disoriented people who have been living in darkness. He's revealing His rescue plan. If we're going to understand the rescue plan we need to unpack a little of the context, like not just the context of John 8, but like the context of the whole Bible. Okay, first of all, I am statements. Why are we studying the I am statements? It's all because of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. God's people are in slavery. A young-ish Moses is in exile away from Egypt, right? Herding sheep, acting like a shepherd, all of a sudden, burning bush, God speaks to Moses. Moses, Moses, here I am. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then God goes on to explain to Moses what he's about to do. Look, Moses, my people are in slavery my heart breaks for them. I have heard their cries for deliverance, for mercy. I want you to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. Moses is freaked out, as we would be. God, what if they reject me? God, what if they reject you? I mean, these people have been living in the dehumanizing darkness of slavery for generations now. What if, what if they ask what your name is? And God says this, tell them my name. I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent me to you. 
That's God's personal name. I am, or Yahweh is the way it's often rendered. So when Jesus makes all these statements about who he is in the Gospel of John, he does so in a unique way by saying, I am fill in the blank. By saying it that way, it is dripping with the covenant name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's dripping with the covenant name and all the promises of the God who loves his people, pursues his people, never gives up on his people, no matter how lost they are, no matter how bad they've been. They've been. It's the God of Israel who delivers his people from darkness and from slavery. That's part of the context, but there's more. The light of the world. Jesus wasn't just making this up out of thin air, okay? He wasn't doing something like, I am the banana leaf of the plantation. There, that's a good one. Do you like that one? I'm the banana leaf. No, this makes so much sense according to the context. Here's the scene, okay? Most scholars believe that the end of chapter 7 flows right directly into uh, verse 12. We can talk about that later if you want. That means that Jesus is in the temple. Our passage actually told us that much. And the particular part of the temple he's in is called uh, the Court of the Women. Now, this is one of the busiest, most populated parts of the temple. Why? Because everybody comes there to make their tithes and their offerings. So you look around and what do you see? Well, you see these treasure chest things that are in the shape of like a trumpet. There are 13 of them. They're very elaborate. And you hear the clank of the coin and the whole thing. But you also see this. You look up and you see these four magnificent torches towering above everyone else. These torches were at least as tall as the highest walls in the temple. On the top was a bowl that held 65 or so liters of oil to keep them burning and burning. Anywhere you're near these torches and they're lit, you can't help but just look and say, wow, look at all that light. You're close to the temple. Wow, you're in Jerusalem. You look up on the hill. Wow, there it is. Now add this. What are the people doing? The people are celebrating. Because if chapter 7 flows into 8.12, it is still the Feast of the Tabernacles. There's a big party going on. There's a Levite orchestra playing. There are men dancing around with torches. This is a lively party. Everyone is happy and rejoicing about God's faithfulness. And there's light here, and there's light there, and there's light here. Everything is light-themed. And Jesus of Nazareth stands in the middle of it all and says, I am the light of the world. And if you're there, you just did this. Whoa. Light, 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 light. And you are the light of the world. People were shocked. Jesus doesn't say, I'm the light of the party. I'm the light of the temple. I'm the light of the city even. I am the light of the world. That means... That the entire planet, if it, if it will be delivered from all of the darkness therein, the entire planet will need me as its source of light. Whoa. There's even more. Because what was all of this imagery about in the Feast of the Tabernacles? Why all the light? What, what were they celebrating? 
Back again in Exodus, this time a little further into the book of Exodus. After God's people have left Egypt, they're wandering in the desert. How are they feeling? Used, abused, disoriented, terrified of the uncertain future that's ahead of them. But they're following something. They're following the pillar of fire. They're following the light. And when they set up their camp and they build the tabernacle and God makes his presence known by filling it with light, well, this is what Jesus is saying he is. That he is the burning presence of God. That he is the light in the wilderness leading God's people to safety, showing God's people the way home. Jesus is saying, you remember all that stuff that we're celebrating? That is me. That's what I do for my people. I rescue them and then I guide them all the way safely home. No matter how anxious they are, no matter how worn out they are, that's what I do for my people. And here's the reason this is not arrogant of Jesus to make this exclusive claim to be the light of the world that leads to light. It's because Jesus knows that everything else leads to death. Jesus knows that the little flickers of light here and there that we find in our stuff or in people or in our experiences, he knows those are not enough. He knows that those are going to dim and eventually fade. And he loves us enough to convince us not to follow those things. But there's more because not only does he love us enough to warn us, about how dark and disorienting and deadly these other lights would be. He loves us enough to actually take on our darkness and the disorientation of the human experience and the death that all of us deserve for our own participation in the darkness. This is the gospel as Jesus dies for the sins of his people. A God who just wants to feel proud and has a big ego will say something exclusive about himself. But our God doesn't do that. He says something exclusive about himself and then he gives his life to make it true. He gives his life because he loves you. So this morning, if you are disoriented, wandering in life's desert, afraid of what the future holds, uncertain of what's next, then look to Jesus, the light of the world. If you're worn out, used, and abused, if you can't take anymore, if you're beaten down because of your circumstances, relationships, whatever it is, health, then look to Jesus, the light of the world. If you're overwhelmed with all of the darkness that we see in our stories and especially in our world today, then look to Jesus. And if you're looking to something else, then please stop. That light will fade, I promise. But Jesus will never, never fade. Maurizio went back time and time again to his caves. Um, he committed his life to it, really. He's committed to this darkness project. His longest stay lasted over a year, 366 long, dark, disorienting days. But he said, humanity can only take so much darkness we can't handle just 
darkness. He finally stopped doing those experiments in 2006, and someone came and asked him, as a reporter or someone, and said, hey, why do you do this? Why do you spend so long? Like, do you like the darkness? I mean, do you prefer life in the darkness? And Maurizio said, are you trying to be funny? I never want to go back in there ever again. I need the sun. I used to dream about the dawn. We need the sun, don't we? Inside of every human heart is this longing for the dawn, longing for all of the bad and dark and disorienting and deadly things to go away. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you have repented of your sins and given him your life, if you're living for him, well, then you'll never walk in darkness again. You won't certainly walk in darkness forever. Because Jesus has come, the light of the world has come into our experience to guide us, to guide us safely home, and he is ushering in the dawn when all of the bad and dark things go away. And so UCB, look to Jesus and only to Jesus because as Isaiah writes, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, the light of Christ. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this reality. And we'd ask for your spirit that we would be a courageous people who not only experience the warmth of your light, but actually reflect it to the rest of the world, that we would be a people who are discerning as we interact with other things in the world. As the hymnist writes, you shine in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, we hear you pass. Um, help us, Jesus, to focus on you, not on these little things that happen to reflect you, but to focus on you for our good, for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.